Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Roll Up, the official Phil Singer Games podcast. I am Sam Fain, joined, as always, by the tournament master, Todd Gershel, and making his triumphant return, the one and only Mike Molesky. Mike, how are you? I was sworn this was two weeks in a row, darn it. Uh, because, <laughs> you know, we do what we can. We try and show up every once in a while and give the people what they want. So right. You've got to give happens. the people what they want. <laughs> I'd hug you guys right now if I could. Uh, uh, Todd, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You want to tell everybody about that amazing display you got that's sitting behind you? Yeah, I got this tremendous... That no uh, one can see because we're a podcast. Nobody is so. an audio medium, but <laughs> I got this tremendous AEW uh, stage. It's right now set for Dynamite, but I got all... Uh, all the champions out front and everyone kind of surrounding the ring, the dark order in the back. Uh, definitely a lot of fun. This thing is tremendous. Yeah. Uh, and, and I got this, this barricade set that I got from uh, my kids for Christmas that I put up around the whole thing. So I got this whole uh, table kind of filled up with it. And uh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how long it stays up there like that, but uh, it's definitely kind of fun to play with and, it's got all the different uh, pay-per-view uh, screens you can put in there, so I'm going to reset it all for uh, Revolution once nice. uh, we know more of those matches all set. Very, very cool. Yeah, that pop-up entrance is, is I mean, that is a really, really cool accessory. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of, like, the old, like, Titan Tron that they, that they had for... Um, you know the the Jacks WWE figures way back when, mm-hmm. uh, but even that thing wasn't as like big and cool as that is in my opinion. Right. So I never uh, had anything like that for the LJNs. You know, no, no, <laughs> no, and certainly nothing like that for the uh, for the old Hasbro figures. Oh man, I did have that ring though. It came with like the little like. Uh, timekeepers table where you could put yep. the belt around. The, yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, good times. so yeah. yeah, good times, good times. Uh, let's head over to the opening bell. See what's going on with uh, some of the announcements here. Uh, last Friday, we got our Legends announcement for the one and only Antonino Argentino Roca, uh, Roca, however you you want to pronounce the name. Uh, and I love the art. The Legends art is just killing it. Uh, I you know he's coming at you. He's got those bright orange tights on, um, and you know just what an incredible legend uh in the history of professional wrestling uh at one time you know easily the number one draw in the country um you know and and to be fair when we talk about those things we do have to consider location he was in new york so that certainly helped things out for you know that drawing power because when you live in the most populous city in the nation naturally you're probably going to draw bigger crowds just out of hat but uh he was the biggest draw and uh, innovator high flyer um wrestling barefoot um what a character from everything i've read about him too had you know had just great presence was was on tv um you know doing game show spots doing spots on i love lucy and superman and you know the comic books all that sort of stuff so uh really cool stuff and uh i'm i'm excited to have him mike what are your thoughts on this one you know there's a flip side to being the top draw in new york you know you get yeah you're in the biggest city but on the other hand, if you don't draw, you don't get that main event spot for very that's, long. That's so, right. you know, there's a, there's a big spotlight on you one way or another. So I think that, you know, the fact that he was able to draw um, speaks to his, you know, just how good he was and, yeah. and his crossover appeal and everything else. Um, and, and you know, uh, one of those guys that he's been on the list for a number of years now, somebody who went, we wanted to get in color, and I'm glad we were able to do so now. Yeah. 
It's interesting too thinking about him as a draw because uh, you know he's he's kind of a member of the revisionist history that WWF has put out there because he was a draw before McMahon Senior had taken the territory over. Um, it was it was actually Tootsmont that that had promoted him um, and uh, used him as his number one star in the area, and that when McMahon Senior came in, uh, you know Roca kind of got pushed aside for Buddy Rogers, um, and now of course you know if if you listen to the way that WWE tells the tale, you know. Rook is one of their guys, but that's not entirely the case. Um, and, uh, it, you know, just a kind of a fascinating little bit of promotional history there thinking about the transition. But that said, yeah, we're talking about nearly like a 15 year span where he was like the top guy. And the fascinating thing about that is he wasn't holding the top title. He didn't need the belt to draw, you know, and he was in tag teams. He was in singles, you know, a lot of stuff. So it, it just, a, I think, an interesting um, example uh, of the way that promoters used certain talents. And in particular, I think uh, a bit of, you know, a bit of a uh, aberration, I guess, if you will, from uh, the established route that things would take shortly after he was kind of phased out or, you know, pushed down a little bit in, in the territory um, because you had Buddy Rogers come come in, win the title. Buddy Rogers couldn't carry the title anymore. Bruno came in. And then after that, you know, it was all she wrote. You know, the, the top guy was always the guy with the belt and that was the top draw. And that's that. And that's, you know, kind of the way it was all the way up until arguably, you know, the 90s. Um, when you know there's question over whether or not some of the guys that held the title were the top draw or not but you know that's a debate for another time so um yeah i like i said i'm just excited to have him in color uh he's not somebody oddly enough especially given the flavor of my fed that i have have used even though i don't mind mixing black and white and color so i think uh when he gets this color card i might bring him into my fed todd what are your thoughts over here on uh antonino rocca uh, I mean, definitely one that I know is top of the list that we wanted to get into the color game. And, uh, yeah, this, this set, you know, has a, a number of the guys that were kind of like, didn't really fit into a theme before. And, uh, I think we're really glad, you know, to, to bring in and kind of have, you know, another top name, uh, from that kind of, you know, early territory era. So I, I think it's awesome. Nice. Um, and then, of course, uh, on Monday, we got the announcement for Kronos uh, Ultimatum is coming. And uh, I thought that this was just some great art, really cool, you know, hinted his background. Ultimatum is a survivor of war raised to be a relentless manhunter. Who is he hunting and what exactly does he do with them when he finds them? Ultimatum leads an awesome new super team on Kronos. Which three wrestlers join him in battle against their common enemies? Find out this March with Kronos Return to Civilization. Um, yeah, I, I, I love this art. I, I, I love the look of the character. Um, again, you know, I know a little bit more about him than what's, what's in the teaser, but uh, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to having this guy in the Kronos uh, ranks. Todd, what about you? Uh, badass art for sure. Uh, again, yeah, I know a little bit more about the character, and this is definitely going to be a major player if... Uh, you're playing out Kronos there. So yeah, I just definitely, I, I think everyone loves it, especially like the texture of the skin and stuff is very yeah. unique and, and whatnot. I, I definitely, definitely awesome piece of art. Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, with a little shout out to my friend Stu over at Uncharted Territories, this is not your typical green alien. Uh, <laughs> yes. here. Um, you know, th- this is a, you know, I, and I think uh, Rob and Werner just, hit this one i i really like it um you know it's it's a different it's an alien look without being 
typical alien, which I think is really, it's a tough thing to do. And mm -hmm. I think they, they really did a great job with this one. I love the art. Um, like you guys, I've now know a lot more about the character than what's in the teaser. <laughs> and um, I, but I do think that, you know, it's not overselling it to say that this is a major player who people are going to enjoy having in their fence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm again, I always, when I, when I kind of know what's up, it's, it's always just exciting to anticipate what other promoters are going to think. So um, I'm certainly looking forward to, you know, when people have a, a clear picture of, of what's up with them, but the response, you know, thus far on the boards to, to all of the revealed art and little teases so far has been overwhelmingly positive, which makes a lot of sense because I feel like, you know, the chrono sets have been, um, have been very cool. And, and, and a lot of people have really enjoyed those cards, especially when it became clear, like what some of those prime cards were going to be used for that, that, you know, that we were getting for a while. And it was just sort of like, Oh, this is interesting. You know, what does this mean? Um, and then of course, uh, one Wednesday, which is actually tomorrow from when we record this. So I'm excited to just say this because it feels like I'm announcing something, even though by the time you listen to this, you'll already know. And that is that the uh, best of the Indies tag team set is, uh, is now even stronger as we add Hernandez to the list uh, of cards in that set. Um, Actually, that, that's a, that's a prime card uh, for, for Q1. It's a prime card. Well, yes. There you go. There you go. <laughs> it's um, such breaking news. Even Sam didn't know. I, cool I, you know, it, it, it's true though. It's true though. With the, with the Indies set, there's, I, I you know, I, I've been confused about certain things because there was a question of like, you know, are these people going to be in? Are these people not going to be in? Do we have this guy? Do we not have this guy? That sort of stuff. So it was, it was a little in flux. It's a little in flux. But, but it's also kind of like a little bit of like a timeline thing, a little future shock action going on. Like we're talking about what's happening tomorrow today, which is right, really right. confusing yes. if you're today. Because That's you're right. trying to talk about tomorrow and you don't know, you haven't read tomorrow yet, but it's still today. <laughs> exactly. Thank you for clearing that up and making it just easy to follow. I just, I just tried to make it really confusing. So uh, <laughs> um, interesting fact, of course, is that Hernandez was trained by none other than Tugboat Taylor, um, which uh, you know we we have a we have a card for, and then um, spent a lot of time in TNA, of course, with Homicide as the original incarnation of LAX. Uh, lots and lots of accolades uh, uh, under his belt around. Ooh his waist with belts um, for multiple promotions throughout the South and the Southwest and even the Northeast. Uh, of course, a uh, two-time NWA World Tag Team Champion with TNA and then a five-time TNA World Tag Team Champion um, with, with multiple partners, not only Homicide, but uh, but other guys as well. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, worth noting that Wrestling Observer voted a best gimmick and tag team of the year in 2006 um, as Latin American Exchange. So uh, really cool to add him to to the ranks. Uh, and, and, of course, anybody who's a fan of Lucha Underground, I'm sure, will will enjoy having another Lucha Underground alum in the game as well. Uh, yeah. Mike, thoughts on Hernandez? I'm just waiting for Jericho to tweet how excited he is. <laughs> it's you know it's really cool to be able to add him to the game and have both you know him and homicide and and after that yeah. shout out that you know that jericho you know gave them on the last dynamite it's also pretty cool to be able to add them in uh todd what are your thoughts on having hernandez yeah i thought that was pretty good timing on that uh, last week because i knew that one was coming up this week uh no it's def definitely cool to have him in i mean that you know with the, we wanted to kick off uh 
Yeah, and he's probably we have uh, the pre-sale coming up this Friday, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more. Uh, but uh, we, yeah, we have the uh, all the promoter prime stuff coming out. We have announced before that uh, we have the Legends Prime is going to be three color updates with three uh, request, very highly requested ones. The uh, COTG Prime for quarter one is going to tie into Kronos. We haven't announced the rest of uh, COTG Prime yet, but uh, keep an eye out uh, in our uh, spring con for more on that. Um, and then Indies probably want to get like a big name out first, you know, right out there at the shoot, get people excited for that. And, you know, since we have homicide in the game and the ring of honor starter set, thought it'd be great to have Hernandez in there. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple of the other cards will kind of, um, tie somewhat together in these prime, but uh, we'll, we, we kind of have to stretch, we'll stretch out those over the course of the next couple of weeks. You, you'll see more of those names then too. Nice. I'm looking forward to knowing those names. I don't, I don't, I don't know yet. Um, so, uh, but, but something I do know is that this Friday uh, with our pre-sale announcement, um, it's going to be big and I am really, really, really looking forward to it. Um, you know, I wanted to just go all in and announce like multiple names, but I was told that that's not going to happen. So uh, I've got my hand on the beat button. But, <laughs> but that's okay because uh, I'm not going to screw this up. Uh, no, it's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm so looking forward to the announcement on Friday and to hearing the response. Um, I think that people are going to be very, very excited. Um, can we, can we, I mean, we can say it's a new name, right? Like that's kind oh, of we have You can say it's a new that's name. Say, you were allowed, that's, that's you were allowed already, to say it's a new name. That's I, the I thought that was already out there. It is. It was, it was, it was. Yes. Yes. Uh, So yeah, it's a new name. Uh, super awesome. Um, um, yeah. Uh, that's all I'll say. I won't say anything else. Um, other notes from fed HQ. Todd, do you have anything for us? I don't think so. I mean, yeah, right now everything is kind of all just getting everything ready for uh, this Q1 release. Um, uh still working out some more details for uh some of the galacticon stuff uh which we'll we'll announce uh a little bit more soon of some of all the different activities going on for that um but yeah that's about it for right now right on mike anything anything else from you from fed hq i am looking forward to slash wondering about slash petrified about this Q and a that's coming up. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, let's waste no more time. Uh, we wanted to do, uh, you know, an ask us anything, a Q and a episode. We hadn't done that, um, in a, in a while. Um, we did get through like all the other questions that we had sort of saved up. Um, as with the last episode, we ended up getting a lot of questions, especially kind of last minute. So, uh, if your question does not get asked, uh, or you are not necessarily acknowledged on this particular episode, never fear. We've banked those and we'll get to them later. Some of the questions that had to do with, you know, some of the specifics, um, we might not just be prepared to answer yet. Um, so keep your, you know, keep your ears open in particular at, you know, future cons, especially like a Galacticon, cause there'll be some announcements made there and that sort of stuff. Um, but we wanted to, you know, certainly uh, get to as many of these as we possibly can. So I'm going to shut up and I'm going to start asking your questions. And we're going to start off with Lee Longbury, who asked an interesting question uh, that I think Todd will have to endeavor to answer here. And that question was, what's the largest order in Phil Singer Games history? Uh, I've definitely sent some big boxes before. Um, Thank you for that. Yeah, <laughs> not just to you. I know, no, I know, I know. I, I've had a couple of people order uh, every Legends 
color stuff. That's happened a couple of times there. And, you know, sometimes I'm able to kind of work out a little bit of a deal with that. If, if you reach out to me uh, with some big bundles, um, I have also one time gotten uh, let me get every single card that you have legends, indies and champions. I think that was the biggest one. And that one I think was north of nine hundred dollars. Wow! Wow! Um, so, yeah, that's probably the biggest one, and that was one of those uh, extra large uh, priority uh, flat rate boxes for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you know I I know that I placed probably at least two large orders in my time, just because you know I, there were a couple of times where there was like a gap, you know, and and certainly in the early days when I didn't have when I only had like the first two or three sets, I know <laughs> that I ended up placing like a really big order around like 98 uh, or 99 to get caught up. So I bought like everything from like the fourth set to whatever was current for that year. Um, but, uh, yeah, but there was no indies or legends. That no, 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 no. We're just talking just COTG. Champions. That's yeah, yeah. Yeah. That it wasn't, it, it wasn't necessarily that huge, but then I did place an order a few years ago. I think that was, that was pretty sizable. Yeah. Um, I, I'm actually going to say the biggest order ever placed was probably something Todd, asked to be shipped to him when that I printed. But yes, you know, that, that's true. just that's getting technical on <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um on the secondary market, I think the biggest order ever placed has probably been what Barry has bought over the past couple of months. <laughs> You're probably right, yes. <laughs> um, which he's looking for more stuff. So promoters, you know, help the guy out. Uh, find his posts on, on Facebook or on the board. Um, as, I as, mean, he's, he's already offered $200 for his latest acquisition, so I would hold out for five just to... <laughs> 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 and yes barry I'm, I'm just giving you a hard time don't worry about it no we we, we love barry um so uh yeah I, I i thought that was just kind of a fascinating question to think about you know the the largest order that, that might have ever been placed and to think that somebody did buy every single card like in one shot yeah that's, i think it was like almost that's impressive time yeah it was you know maybe it was about yeah maybe it was close to like 10 years ago but i do remember this one i was like holy cow this it was a beast <laughs> yeah yeah man Whew. all right well good for them um next question up from uh our friend chad olson over at uncharted territory on the legends team uh asked a really great question and one that i had to kind of like rack my brain for and, and i'm still racking my brain for and that is the best match we've ever seen live mike What's the best match you've ever seen live? You know, that, that that's hard to say. I haven't seen as many live matches as I think anybody else on this podcast. So I'll, but, but I'll, I will say maybe not the best match I've ever seen, but kind of like one of the coolest matches I ever saw was I was at wrestle reunion two in Valley forge with Tom and the main event of the car. I, I would help Tom at the table and whatnot. And then we, they had a, uh, a wrestling card, that night and I hung around for it with Tom one, one of the side perks of working the table and uh, the main event was the uh, Dudleys who were then they were sort of I think they're team, they right? team 3D was what they were going by at that point because they were in an argument with Vince over who owned the name <laughs> and they wrestled Rhino and Matt Hardy with his valet, who was Velvet Sky, but wasn't going by Velvet Sky at that point. Um, I forget what, what her ring name was at that point. But um, 
so it was a really cool match because they all trusted each other and the Dudleys knew Hardy from the TLC days. They knew Rhino from the ECW days. So it was this great match. And um, it was also Matt Hardy's last match before he went back to WWE. Mm. Yeah, this is this is when he got fired with the whole Edge yeah. and Lita. Yeah, and the yeah, whole yeah. So this was his his last Indies booking before he went back to WWE. So it was really you know he was actually already on Raw, you know, doing the run-ins from oh, the crowd yeah. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and he was still doing indie stuff while he was doing it. So it was sort of one of that the early days of what we you know now look as the work shoot booking. Uh, right, right. But but so I would say it was just cool, just because it was Matt Hardy there in an indie show while he was on WWE television, and it was the last match he did in in, in the Indies. So I'll say that just for being kind of notable, Indeed. cool, and just different. Yeah, and the whole yeah. card was kind of interesting, but but that was sort of the coolest thing. Nice. Nice. Uh, yeah, I like that. That's a, that's a, that's a good answer. Uh, Todd, what about you? Well, I, I, there's kind of two matches that kind of popped to the top of my mind. Uh, one that I know a lot of people say is one of the best matches of all time that I was there live for, and that was at SummerSlam 1991 uh, with uh, Bret Hart beating Mr. Perfect for the Intercontinental mm. title, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which was an excellent, excellent match, uh, obviously. Uh, but I know that's a lot of people's favorite matches. So that's definitely up there. But the other one I'd have to say that I, I maybe, I mean, personally probably put it above it, uh, but maybe just because more recency, I remember it more uh, versus being in high school and seeing that one uh, was seeing um, uh, El Generico against the one, two, three kid in the Ray De Voladores final in uh, King of Trios 2011, which was an absolute amazing match. Uh, and I remember afterwards they go to the back and you can hear like the ovation from the locker room of everybody who watched this thing. It was a thing of beauty. Yeah. That match is, that match is special. That's, I mean, that's the match that pretty much got me into Chikara. You know, I I had people. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't watched a lot of, uh, a lot of Chikara before. and, and, And then I heard about that match and tracked it down. And yeah, that, that match is fantastic. Yeah, that was a wild weekend. That was um, the King of Trios right after Larry Sweeney had passed. Um, yeah, the first the first night was kind of like a little bit somber, and I was there. For, I was there for the first night and the third night. I had I couldn't make it for the second night. Uh, but yeah, the first night was a little bit somber and whatever. The second night, apparently, like things kind of revved up, and there was a really cool after party. And then night three was just like a big celebration and stuff like that, and kind of capped off with that and the Colony winning. It was. Definitely, I think a lot of people's favorite uh, King of Trios. It's you know either my first or second favorite. Yeah, you know, maybe followed by the the next year was right up there too. But. Nice, nice. Oh man, now what I about have you, Sam? Out an answer for this, and that is just not easy. Um, so here's okay. So here's 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 an admission. I, I, I've never been with one exception i've never been to a big show the biggest show before i went to all in the biggest show i'd ever been to was a nitro it was the nitro that um Arn anderson retired at um and other than that it's all been indie shows um you know ring of honor evolve aaw shimmer um so i feel like 
I'm going to say matches that people most likely haven't seen and that people are probably going to automatically just be like, oh, you know, what about this or this or that? Like, I don't have a Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect match. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't have like the Matt Hardy thing like you were talking about, uh, Mike. But that said, three matches popped into my head. That was Um, an indie show, though, Sam. To right. That, to be fair. Yeah. No, no, that's I a didn't point. pull out Royal Rumble with Todd. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's that's I, a great point. Um, I think that, yeah, so I, three matches do come to mind. Uh, and one of them is actually from all in, uh, the first match that comes to mind, uh, I genuinely mean this 100% is Aja Kong versus Mia Yim at a shimmer show at the Berwyn Eagles club. Um, I mean, that match was just so perfect. Um, The way that they worked the match, the emotion going into the match, um, you know, both, both of these women had similar backgrounds and both had faced prejudice for growing up, you know, uh, black father, Asian mother, you know, just that, that history in and of itself. And the fact that, you know, that these two women were now meeting in the ring, you know, one of them being a legend, of course, of Joshi wrestling and women's wrestling, you know, period. And the other being, you know, arguably one of the top talents in North America at the time. Um, and they just had a hell of a match. It was paced perfectly. Uh, everything felt meaningful. Uh, Mia Yim sold her ass off for Aja Kong. So like, you know, when Aja was you know, hitting her with a back fist or whatever, it was like, oh my God, did she just knock her out? You know, it was, it was, it was just perfect. And, and the drama was, was high and, and, and I loved that match. I still love that match. Um, the other match would have been, um, I think it was the first night of the, no, wait, mm. now I'm thinking maybe I'm mixing up shows. It doesn't matter. Cause I know the match, the match was Matt Riddle versus Shane Strickland also at the Berwyn Eagles club. It was an AAW show. And those guys just had, I mean, a fantastic match. Just one of the best matches I've ever seen live, without a doubt. Um, And then the the third match that came to mind, uh, much as I, you know, as I mentioned in the Evolve uh, uh, show, I, I, you know, I don't necessarily like talk about him too much these days because he's certainly a a controversial figure. But uh, I got to see Kazuchika Okada, you know, in a match in the United States when that was not something that had happened a lot, you know, and the match he had with Marty Skrull all in was fantastic. Um, and it's one of those things where I was so torn after the show, when I heard about all the stuff, the fallout from that, where they were only supposed to go like 15 minutes, you know, that they, they went way over time. And that meant that the main event had to get cut down, which it's weird because while I was watching the show, I don't think I would have traded it for anything. But afterwards, the next day in particular, when I talked to a couple of the guys on the show and they were telling me about what was going on backstage, I was just sort of like, man, that sucks. Because that six-man tag match was supposed to be balls-to-the-wall insanity yeah. for like 20 minutes. And they had to cut it in half because, you know, Skrull and Okada went over. But at the same time, it's like, and I, and I feel, you know, it's weird because... Obviously, with the allegations and everything that have come out since, it's you know there's there's this tendency to kind of want to say like, oh, screw that guy. But the truth of the matter is, you almost feel bad for Skrull because you knew he was going to be the fall guy there because nobody was going to say anything to Okada. Nobody's <laughs> going to go to Okada and be like, I can't believe you went over your time. You know, like first of all, Okada wouldn't care. It's like he's on his flight back to Tokyo. But you know, it, 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 they also weren't going to say anything to him because he's Okada. He's the best wrestler on the face of the planet. So like. You know, at, at that particular point in time, anyway, because um, Brian Danielson was 
not wrestling, but, uh, anyway, um, yeah, I, that match, that match was just incredible. And the fact that they were able to even create a seed of doubt that Marty Skrull was going to win that match is, I mean, that's art. That's art because, you know, going into the match, no one thought that that was going to be the case. And there were a couple of moments when the crowd, the crowd bit, you know, on finishers and they thought that Skrull was going to have a shot to win the match. So, um, I mean, that crowd was just live for anything and everything anyway, but Sam, Sam, leave it, leave it to you to give us three answers to one question. I mean, like, you know, like I said, I, I, well, you know, it's, it's tough because, you know, I think like just talking about Chikara, you know, with Todd, I've been to a bunch of stuff with Todd and Jim Steele and, uh, you know, down at the old arena, there's some great stuff there that we got to see, you know, guys like Kingston and Cesaro before they were big deals. Um, El Generico uh, to, give another name, you know, some, and some really great matches. Those guys did also, we saw, I think we, we saw Brian Danielson down there. We saw yep. like a lot of great stuff. And I think that, um, and some of it, like probably some of the stuff we saw that we loved, maybe wouldn't have been loved by people if they saw it like on TV today, but having been in the arena and having saw the guy work the crowd and everything else, it made it work for you at the, in that moment. So even though, we didn't talk about any of those matches as favorites. I think that's a neat thing about live wrestling that sometimes guys are just so good in person and they can sell that match that TV is different and you have to sell differently to TV than you do to a live crowd. Um, and, and I mean, just if you look at a lot of indie guys who struggle when they get to the big leagues, it's because they don't know how to play to that stationary camera necessarily. They're playing to a whole crowd. And it doesn't translate. So I, I think that it's just neat to see stuff live and having, you know, I'm glad we're kind of opened back up and we're seeing all our indie promotions coming yeah. back and everything now, because it does give some of these performers. I mean, it's like watching a, a television show versus, you know, uh, you know, something on Broadway or whatever. It's, it's just two different mediums. Um, and I think some of these, I know everybody films everything and everybody has a, uh, you know, a stream of, or, or a, a uh, DVD after the fact uh, that you can buy. But I think there is something to be said for that live performance that's just different. So thanks yeah. for the question. I, I think it was a good one. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Chad. Uh, I'm going to throw in just two more because I'm just, you know, whatever, you know that I just came to mind as we were continuing to talk about it just because I, you know, I was like, well, you know, other stuff I've been to is like, you know, a couple of NXT takeovers and I went to the one AEW show. I did get, you know, just being part of the crowd for that Danielson Omega match was mm-hmm. pretty wild. I mean, that was, I mean, just how they captured the crowd. I mean, just even before they touched each other was just like, uh, you know, otherworldly there. And the other one I'll mention, one of the NXT takeovers I went to had uh, Johnny Gargano versus uh, Andrade, which was, uh, you know, what, there's so many good matches on that show. I'm like, oh, there's no way they're going to be able to top it. And they absolutely you know, blew you know blew the rest of the card away with that one, and it's cool that you know that that was kind of the period there where you know it was great to be part of the crowd, but it was almost just as good to be like home watching those those NXT takeovers in their heyday there. So, yeah, uh, that was I mean that was that was a great time to to be a fan as far as I was concerned. You know, it's like I don't think they'll ever recapture that, unfortunately. But um, 
So this next question uh, is a cool one, and it's one that, that Mike uh, wanted us to make sure we got in here, and uh, I'm glad he did. Uh, Crossbones asks us, if you were a manager in COTG and had to put together a four-man faction slash stable, who would it be? Mike, the floor is yours. See, I was afraid you were going to come to me first, because even though <laughs> we were talking right before we went on the air about how that's a good question, I hadn't worked out my team. <laughs> I can pivot uh, I can pivot over to Todd, see if he's got something no, I don't, I'm not ready either. <laughs> well, let, 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 let's, let, let, let's think for a minute. Like, So what, what we're going to do here is we're going to construct a, a four-man team that has, like, sort of, we'll call it, like, that, you know, four-horsemen model, where you have right. a tag team, you have a main event star, and then you have, like, a, a secondary title star. Right? Is that is that like so, sort of like the model we're going to go with? We, I mean, we all agree I, I've on that? got yeah, I agree, and I've got my four right now. I can tell you who I'd pick. Well, why don't you okay, go ahead? Why don't you go ahead? And, right. right. and I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet. These are just the first four names that popped into my head. I had to start with Thantos. Thantos was just number one on my list. I'm putting Thantos in this faction. Then who came next? Havoc. I, I, I love Havoc. I, I I just love that character. I think he's awesome. So we've got. Santos is, you know, my my flair basically. Havoc is my Tully, and then for my tag team, Bloodline and Incubus. That's pretty good, uh, I, you know. And and I could even see that that, that team. But aside from Havoc, right, it all right. works right on its own. Like right. it, it just it fits. So we'll we'll guide. All right. So 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 Havoc is an interesting choice as an IP guy. I'm not sure he would appreciate being your IP guy. <laughs> there might be some tension on that team as a result, but. A I could slide uh, it. I could slide Prodigy into that spot. No, 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 no. You've already you've you, you've made your picks. I'm don't, just saying don't go change, if, don't go changing. You know. you know. You know. I mean, come on. Now. Oh, I'm oh, not. No. I'm not. I'm just saying. If somebody no, would no, like you, be like, you know, you can't take Havoc. I'd be like, all right, I'll take Prodigy. All right, Todd. Why don't you pick a main event guy? Let's do this. Like you and I can like break this down so we have time to actually tap dance and think. Well, well, well my main event guy is definitely Chaos. I mean, that that is all my right. Guy. So, all right. So you guys took my easy. top two guys. So who do I take now? Uh, wow. Um, you could double up. That's a thing. No, no, no. We've got to be. Uh, you know what? I'm just going to go. Since we're going that way, I'm going to go Mr. Centrum just because I can. There you go. All right. Fair. Fair. Well, what, what about you? What about a tag team for you, then, Mike? Well, if we've got to go tag team, um, you know, uh, Mr. Centrum doesn't want a tag team that's going to sort of interfere in his main event at all. He, there's, there's going to be no tension on Mr. Centra's team. Uh, so he is going to pick, um, uh, I think he's going to pick them. He's going to go to crack and hire the mercenaries. I think that's what he's going to do. All right. That's definitely one I considered there. Um, I'm probably leaning, uh, there's two teams that kind of pop to the top of my head. Uh, one is Superiority Complex, and the other is Twin Blood. Those would probably be the top two choices mm, oh, for me. Great choice. Uh, I so probably I probably lean Twin Blood. I just always love that that team. I don't know if they would work well with Chaos, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's just a, a great team right there. Well, I, you know, now, to be fair, I'm just going with what Mr. Centra wants right now. This is not necessarily sure. the best super group ever, but if you're going to build around one guy, you, you got to sort of – I'm going in the team building model here, right, fair, so that we can have fair. the team that lasts. Um, <laughs> so, all right, Todd, so who, who, since who do you have who's going to go up against uh, Havoc for that interplanetary title? Uh, 
that's tough. Um, I mean, the the one that's popping on top of my head probably is the Matador. Uh, is he too he- too much of a heavyweight, or is he kind of fit? Uh, I mean, I, I mean, Havoc's. I mean, I I think if you're gonna go Havoc as counts, I think Matador counts. Yeah, because I mean, he worked so, well with Chaos. We've known that yep. before yeah, yep. the, the, for for at least some period of time. Some period of now, time, yeah. Now, now again, I got to think about my main event guy, Mister Centra. You know, he was able to pay the mercenaries to come and be part of his team. Sure, but it's not a lot of room for anyone who's gonna be a threat to Mister Centra. So, you know, he's, he's got to make sure that there's a clear delineation between A and B here. Okay. Um, and, and somebody, I don't even, I don't want somebody with ego who thinks they're coming in and they're going to be better. So I think the best pound for pound solution I can choose for him is grit. <laughs> so you just said pound for pound. I knew it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that that's my super team. Mr. Centra grit and the mercenaries that, that, that team will stay team. together. That's a team that will stay together and, right. and, and, and not split up. Yeah, no, that's a good call. That's a good call. I don't think I have a lot of cohesion in my team. Havoc will turn on Thantos in a second. That will be oh, over. He will totally. He will cost Thantos the title. Bloodline and Incubus will fight. Chaos and Matador will not be. Matador will resent Chaos. And Twin Blood doesn't even like those guys. So my team is the best team. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's all right. I'll, I'll give it to you, Mike. There you go. <laughs> Look. For the three months or so that my team would actually stay together, they would run roughshod over anybody, though, okay? <laughs> um, no, that was a great question, Crossbones. Thank you very much for that. And, it's you know, it's funny because uh, much like Chad's question about best match, you know, I'm already second-guessing the Okada scroll match. But anyway, uh, it, it, this is one of those questions that, you know, tomorrow I'm going to wake up and be like, what was I thinking? Um, that, that's why I went this way. I figured nobody can criticize me for forgetting this tag team. I just came up with a logical construct that- <laughs> You know, it works. I didn't say it was the best team, it's just the best team for tonight. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Sure. Um, yeah, it's funny. We were talking this, uh, talking about this beforehand. We didn't get like any non-game or non-wrestling related questions, really. So I, I feel like all of this is going to be so subjective uh, for the most part, and all of this is going to lead me to second guessing my answers. So. Um, Although this next question will not. Uh, Michael Brada asks us, earliest memory of discovering wrestling. Now, we've all kind of talked about this stuff before, so we can be pretty brief on this. But my earliest memory, I think, uh, of wrestling um, you know, would have to come when I was probably about four years old. Um, I'm, you know, I'm sure I'd probably seen a little bit of it before that, but when I was four years old, um, and I want to say it was... <sighs> It had to have been. It, it had to have been around uh, the time of the flag match with Hogan and Volkov, um, which I don't remember the exact date of. Although I could look it up, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that would have had to have been. Um, was that? Wait, my, was that? Was that on like uh, Saturday morning? Saturday night's main event. Yeah, it was a Saturday night main event. Oh, Saturday's main event. Okay. Yeah, um, and I know it was. Yeah, it was in '85. Yeah, so I would have been four years old. Yeah, so that's I think that's my earliest memory is the Volkov, um, Volkov Hogan flag match on Saturday night's main event. Well, for me, uh, I don't know if it's really wrestling, but my first ever exposure to wrestlers was uh, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, and 
my cousin, uh, uh, she would, you know, we were watching cartoons and she's like, oh, we got to watch this. And I'm like, what the heck is this? And <laughs> that was my first exposure to everything wrestling wise. And I think soon thereafter, you know, it was in the build up to WrestleMania three and seeing uh, the, the first thing I remember on a, you know, watching on, on TV was uh, the Piper's Pit with uh, where uh, Andre turned on Hogan. That was the mm. first, my first thing I think I ever watched. And that was oh, like man. at a Cub Scout meeting or something like that. You know, I was like, holy cow, you know. Yeah. After that, I was hooked. I remember that. I remember that pretty vividly, actually. Um, and I think, I, you know, I like I said, that's my earliest memory, but I had to have, I, there had to have been stuff before that. Anyway, uh, Todd, what about you? I just had Mike. You mean me? Oh, Mike. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm Mike. the other guy. I'm the I other know. guy. I know you don't. I'm not used to asking me anyway. I'm all over. <laughs> the place. I, I missed I'm enough all times over the place tonight. No, I, I think that um, it's funny. I was as you guys were answering. I was trying to remember like the first thing, and I mean, I remember Bruno San Martino. Mm. Um, you know, but I don't. I can't tell you a match that he wrestled because I that was back before that was like really televised as much. Yeah, um, right. And I remember um, seeing, uh, you know, Bruno. I remember, you know, Bob Backlund. I remember, uh, I remember hearing about Zabisco and 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 Bruno. Um, so that would have been 1980. I'd have been six then. Um, so somewhere in that range, I think that I'll just say Bruno San Martino. You know, just mm-hmm. having grown up outside of New York City, I'll say that was my first memory of, of professional wrestling. He was yeah. always talked about, even years later when he was not champ and, and was retired, people talked about Bruno, but I think that was probably my earliest that I can remember. Yeah. Yeah. And I can remember also that this is kind of divorced from watching it necessarily, but I can remember being around that age and anytime I would go to the grocery store or the drugstore with like my parents or grandparents, um, you know, I, I usually could like pick out a comic book or whatever, but on my way to the comics, I would stop by the magazines and I would usually pick up like a wrestling magazine or something and flip through it. Um, you know, and eventually started buying the wrestling magazines as well. So, uh, that it would have been around the same time, frankly, cause that's about the same time. I think I started getting comic books was when I was like four or five years old and, um, you know, I know I can remember for certain, like my fifth birthday, getting, you know, like a stack of comic books and stuff. So, yeah. Um, next up on the question sheet here, Troy asks us two very good questions. We're going to get to both of them here. And uh, who slash what is your favorite non wrestler card to use and why? And this is specifically for COTG. Oh, boy, that's a tough one. Todd, what do you think? Uh trying to think how many I actually because again I have probably the same problem that many people do like I forget to use the non-wrestler cards even though I'm usually <laughs> the one that writes them um but uh I mean probably it probably had to be you know some of the commissioner cards in the past sure yeah uh that's probably the ones I've used the most was kind of like those early commissioner cards probably like commissioner massive or something like that uh, but something else like different and f- and fun that I enjoyed using was the the Mott and Cram card from Promoter Madness Two. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a lot of fun uh, with that one there, and I did incorporate that when I was playing out the GWOZ. I do remember that. Nice, nice, Mike. What about you? It's a tough call. I mean, I think that the, the uh, Commissioner Carter was probably the, the Commissioner card I used the most, so that's mm-hmm. right up there. 
Um, and just trying to think of a non-commissioner card. Um, gosh, because um, there's been a lot of good ones. Um, you know, I remember just from a bootleg standpoint, shout out to Todd, the Dragon Master and Vanity uh, uh, card. That was a, a sort of a favorite of mine. Yeah. Um, but I'll just go with another one that I really like just because it was so different, and that's Cordonis. Ah, oh, yeah. That's, That's awesome. You, yeah. you, t- you totally took mine. Uh, I, I Yeah, I was going to say the, the first two that popped into my head, oddly enough, were Cordanus. I loved using that card. Um, I used it quite a bit, uh, pretty yeah. liberally, just because it was fun to run with the whole, you know, evil commissioner kind of, you know, thing. Um, and then the other one, oddly enough, that popped into my head was Omen. I used to love using Omen's card because I felt like, like, Nosfera was great just as a wrestler and being this weird, you know, interesting talent, but paired with the stuff that you could do on Omen's card with him. I just, I, I loved that dynamic and I love the idea that like, you know, Omen wasn't really doing things so much as he was making room for Nosfera to do more. And I thought that just added an interesting layer to, to the character in general. Um, another one that I really loved using and I used quite a bit was the Trisis uh, showcase card. I, I love that talk show card. It was, you know, I mean, it's just a, your standard kind of talk show card, but I used that one, I think more frequently than others because I didn't have the Johnny rocket interview card um, until recently. The Kalatar card I probably use more than anything. I, I, didn't, have, talk, I didn't have the Kalatar card either, actually. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did talk <laughs> shows like almost every, you know, every other show or something like that. So I did use that one a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I for, in the early days, I just, you know, used my imagination. <laughs> I didn't, cause I didn't have those cards, but I wanted them. I wanted them badly. Now, luckily I do, but at the time I did not. So Trisis was probably one of the first times I had the opportunity to use a talk show card. So yeah, Trisis, Omen, and, and the Cordonis uh, Commissioner card would be the ones that pop into my head. Uh, the second part of Troy's question was, uh, who is your most obscure want for the Legends game? This is a tough one. Uh, Mike, anyone come to mind? Uh, obscure want. Um I guess obscure will will take that to mean not main event, not somebody, um, not, not even a mid card guy, just sort of somebody who was like either a flash in the pan or a low level guy. And if we're going to go with that, I'm going to say iron Mike sharp. Damn it. You took my answer. <laughs> Damn it. You can, you can double up. There's nothing, nothing. You know, first off, oh, first off, I'm, you know, I, Northeast territory guy. What can I say? My, you know, I'll take, let me take iron Mike sharp. We'll put him to the side. Um, for Todd, uh, so, so I'll, I'll tap dance. Sam, who's yours? Who goes yours, and then I'll come back. Oh gosh, um, this is tough. This is really, really tough because I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, and I was thinking, I was thinking hard about it earlier, and I was trying to figure out some names, you know. But I, I, I most obscure name. How about a Ted RCD card? You got an LJN figure. Why can't he get a, a Legends card? Right? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess we're not. We're, I mean, I can't say Chris Jericho, right? I mean, I, I can't say Chris Jericho. No, That's not no. allowed. Okay, so, so uh, yeah, that's tough. I mean, like. That's the Iron Mark, Iron Mark Sharp has always been my answer for a lot. No, of he's time. always yeah. yeah. I mean, that, if I'm being truthful, it's Iron Mark Sharp. I can't even like make up one that's like that. That's who I I would want. Um, in terms of somebody more obscure, I would have said like Frogman LeBlanc or something like that. And 
we have to, man. Um, well, I, I do have a story around Iron Mike Sharp there. Um, don't, well, he's not signed, guys. Don't, don't, don't worry. Uh, but I remember there was a number of years ago when uh, uh, Tom was doing the two jobbers, and it was uh, George South and Larry Sharp. And I remember he's like, oh, yeah, I got, you know, I was talking to him on the phone, and he's like, oh, yeah, we got, you know, two enhancer guys coming. I'm like, oh, that's great. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, man, I would really love an Iron Mike Sharp card. He's like, I think that's one of the cards. And of course, and I found out it was Larry Sharp. Uh, Mike Sharp. I was very, you know, very disappointed. But no offense to the monster. No offense to Larry, to Larry Sharp. Right, yeah, but, yeah. You know, there's a wrong, the wrong wrestling trainer from uh, uh, New Jersey. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I always, uh, I, I love the way, like they sold him, like he would beat up occasionally. They'd have him wrestle another enhancement yeah. guy and he'd win. Yeah, he went um, on prime time every yeah, once in a while. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, but then you know you, you, they'd put him up against whoever was the next like intercontinental champ contender. You know, like and and, and he, that guy would win. Uh, but I always liked the way he sold. I always loved how he was just obnoxious. Um, you know, and there was it was sort of like there was no thought to the fact that he had a ceiling, right? Like you, you he believed he you, you believed he believed he was going to win the match no yes. matter what, and yeah. and it was just he was fun. So, yeah. So we're, we'll cheat, we'll cheat on this one and double up. There you go. Iron Mike Sharp. You know, I I think uh, kind of going through and, and thinking about somewhat obscure names. Um, you, you know, we're we're very fortunate in in the day and age in which we live that we've got a lot of really cool uh, literature out there, books out there that we never would have had before. And and just um, having picked up some John Cosper books because he did a sale. Uh, over the holidays, um, two names that do pop into my head as being somewhat obscure would be the original Black Panther, Jim Mitchell, um, who was a black wrestler, uh, you know, in the in the early days and, and, and wrestling, um, you know, white opponents at a time when that was not allowed um, uh, in most places. So I, I think you know, having him would be really, really cool, uh, for a number of reasons. Um, and then also going off of that as well, another one of his books that I picked up, um, the ballad of cousin Elvira, uh, Elvira Snodgrass would be, uh, another cool name to, uh, to add just because she was, again, she was a little different. Um, you know, she, she was kind of this, uh, she started off as, you know, as being, you know, kind of a, down to earth, all shucks kind of, you know, baby face. And then ended up going on a, a tear as like the most notorious female heel of her time. Uh, and her career kind of got cut a little short by a car accident. But, um, those are, those are two names that, that I think would kind of fit the bill as being obscure. And, um, and there's some Japanese names I think that would be neat to have, but, uh, those, those are the ones that I'll, that I'll go with. Um, and then next up, uh, from Pariah, uh, <laughs> this is another one that's going to be tough. Favorite finishing move. Favorite finishing move. Are we talking, is this like a Legends thing, a COTG thing, or just a general question? I think this is just a general question. What's your favorite finishing maneuver that you've, that you've ever seen? Hmm. I can say my favorite one in use today is um, probably the Buckshot Lariat. It's probably my favorite that's going on now. Yeah, totally. That's, that's great. Cool. 
I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go with the Tiger Driver. I just always, I mean, uh, you know, when Misawa used it in particular, and and whenever I see it today, which you know isn't isn't often, uh, I, I I love that move. Um, you know, the other move that comes to mind because I remember the first time I ever saw Sting do it, and just thinking it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen is the Scorpion Death Drop, the Reverse DDT. I just I think that that still is. You know, it's an awesome move. And it's not a move you see a whole lot. Like, you see variations of it and stuff, but it's not one that gets pulled out a lot. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I'm going with. Well, I, I know there's a second part to this question. So I, I think that there's two two pieces to it. Like, I guess, do we go with the realistic, like, what's going to finish the match sure. versus the entertainment factor? Um, mm-hmm. You know, because if you want to go entertainment factor, there's the Hogan leg drop, the rock uh, people's elbow, um, right. That that was just entertaining when you saw it come, you knew it was coming. Was that really the most devastating move you ever saw? Probably not, but it was really fun. Um, you know, super fly leap, um, was another one in that category. Uh, I'll say in terms of just favorite, I love the, and this sort of, you know, Kurt angle with that ankle lock, the way he would throw it on, you know, you believed it, um, you know, Brock Lesnar with his F5, you, you know, you believe that that would destroy somebody with a guy throwing somebody around like that. Yeah, so. I almost I almost said the F5 because that is a pretty that's a pretty impressive move, obviously. Um, yeah. So I don't know. F5. I'll say F5. Why not? And then the second part of Pariah's question was your favorite submission move. This oh, then one, I'll go with the ankle lock. We'll go Kurt Angle go. with the ankle lock. There you go. You know, there, there's this one's tough for me, honestly, because like I love the sharpshooter. I, I you know or Scorpion Deathlock. I I, I I mean I just love that move. Um, I, I love the bulldog choke that that Moxley does. Um, I, I, I you know I think it just looks brutal, especially when he does it. Um, figure four is another great one. Yeah, right? figure four, right? I, I like Charlotte's figure eight. You know, I don't really like Charlotte that much these days, but I like the figure eight. Um, cattle mutilation, you know, back when That's Danielson used to do that. Unique, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 those are probably, you know, the ones that, that come to mind is, is you know, the... Um, and the Muda Lock, I love the Muda Lock. The Muda Lock is a great move, you know, you know, born out of the STF. But um, yeah, the, I'd say I guess so. I guess I, Muda I'm Lock. Surprised out, I'm surprised you're leaving out Britt Baker if you're going to go there. You know, mandible yeah, claw. I mean, it's funny because I was such a huge McFoley mark, and I loved you know his run as Mankind, and I loved seeing him pull out the sock, but. Now, Mandible Claw just doesn't do it for me anymore. But she does. I mean, I actually love the fact that it's sort of the shout out to McFoley because she puts the glove on, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the sock, but it's the glove, right? I mean, it's it's kind of a, a neat little throwback. But no, I agree. It's not yeah. on the same level as those other ones. But we get back to entertaining versus, you yes, know, yes, yes, right, 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 move. right. Yeah, man, there's so many cool ones, too, that have been busted out over the past, like, 15 years or so due to, like, the MMA influence. So, you know, like, um, Undertaker's Hell's Gate, I, I always man. thought was really cool. Um, uh, uh, the, you know, the Anaconda Choke, Rear Naked Choke, you know, all those sorts of moves getting used and stuff. Like, um, I thought, you know, that it was cool to see wrestlers, you know, taking that influence and, and, and using it. And in some cases, you know, uh, MMA fighters, you know, using a little bit of the influence and, and being like, oh, that really works. I can actually do that. Um, what about you, Todd? 
I mean, probably the I, I, I go the easy answer is the sharpshooter is just you know it's such a classic one there, but I'd say probably my favorite uh, submission move to put on friends when wrestling uh, in the basement or on the trampoline was probably the the, the, the good old Boston Crab. You know, that, oh that was, totally, it was always a classic to, to, to put it on your friends there. I love it's, it. It's a good thing you never saw the Alaskan toe grip. <laughs> Boston's got nothing on on Alaska. <laughs> Oh, man, that's lovely. Uh, moving right along here uh, from uh, Pike Mojo, uh, who, again, has been updating the Classic Wrestling Articles website quite a bit lately. Lots of really, really cool articles on there. There's a lot of women's wrestling, like vintage, vintage women's wrestling stuff that he was putting up there from the, the Alma Mills archive, I guess, that he he, he got or whatever. And, um, yeah, just a lot of really cool stuff. So so shout out to that site, obviously. And then, of course, for all the uh, other awesome, awesome work that he does for Phil Singer Games, buy your T-shirts. Uh, and uh, his questions are, who is a wrestler you became a fan of because of this game? Um, th- you know, this is kind of an easy one for me. Uh, honestly, it's somebody that I didn't know a whole lot about until I, you know, got his card in the game. Um, and then through research and, you know, the miracle of YouTube now being able to find a little bit more because even initially when I got the card, there wasn't out there. And that's Bobby Shane. I think Bobby Shane is somebody that I have just like, I, I'm a huge, huge fan of, and I love to use his card. And he's kind of just a staple in my legends fed. And, and so much of that has to do with the fact that I got this card and I thought, Oh, this is cool. You know, it's Japanese sleeper, this mechanic, that's neat. And then, you know, reading about him and learning a little bit about him and more. And, and then again, having the access to videos and being able to watch more about him. Um, yeah, that's, that's the guy. And, you know, one of those unfinished stories in wrestling, you know, um, similar to like a Magnum TA, but unfortunately, Bobby Shane is no longer with us. So, um, due to the plane crash, but yeah, that's, that's definitely who I would say for that. Mike, what about you? Um, it's a tough call. I, I'll go with, um, Tiger Conway. Um, you know, he's one, I met Tiger Conway Jr. Uh, love Tigers, Tiger Conway Jr. Haven't talked to him in a little while. I have to give him a call. Um, but he's, he's such a nice man. Uh, but you know, I didn't know anything about his father really before I met uh, Tiger uh, Jr. And it was just, it was neat to hear Tiger talk about him. Then we would, you know, and I tried to do as much research as I could on him before we did the, the card for his dad. Um, I, or Tiger Jr. I mean, I'll just say Jr. is another one. I mean, just getting to know him. Um, just such a good man and, and, and a good person um, to, to talk to him ostensibly because of the game, but then to learn everything about his career. So, you know, they both managed to make their way into my legends fed and I, I didn't know them before the game. So I'll go with the Conways there. Junior nice. Team. Todd, what about you? Uh, probably I, I'm going to go with, with two guys here, uh, both from the original legend set that I didn't really know much at all about beforehand. Um, one is, uh, Ox Baker, um, just a really unique character. Um, just, you know, great, crazy guy there. And, uh, just, we're kind of learning about him and seeing all the, the stuff he's done. And the other one, I guess, you know, uh, maybe think afterwards, you said, you know, meeting someone was just meeting the destroyer. And just yeah. kind of learning about him that somebody I didn't know about, you know, the, the, his whole history there and whatnot, and just kind of getting to see him and just seeing him in character, you know, at the Galacticons and stuff like that, uh, was just so, so cool. Uh, and the yeah, real, real legend in the business too. Um, so 
And I'd say those two guys are big fans of now that I had never heard of before. Yeah. Des- Destroyer's a good call on that one. I, you're, you're dead. That's a, that he's a great one who I, I had heard of, but I didn't know anything really about him before the mm-hmm. game. So that, that was cool. Yeah. yeah. You know, if it hadn't been for, you know, watching old, Japanese wrestling tapes and stuff like that. I, I probably destroyer probably would have been somebody that I would have become a fan of because of the game. But I, you know, had seen a lot of his stuff, his Japanese stuff prior to to you know getting this card. So, um, but yeah, that's a great answer. Now, this might not have been a two part question. It might have been all one question, but I broke it into two because I thought it would be interesting. The second part is someone you would have never heard of or never looked into had a wrestler uh, not been featured in the game. Uh, this is an easy one for me. This is Lightning Rod Fenton. Um, you know, that's a guy who I had no clue about what. Whatsoever, and uh, you know, writing the teasers for that vintage set was a heck of a lot of fun. But Rod Fenton, in particular, holy smokes! Like, what a character! What a cool wrestler! What like, I, I again, you know, I'm I'm Rod Fenton, Mark. You know, like I just have loved getting to learn about him, and I never in a million years would have would have known about him or learned about him had it not been for his card in the game, Mike. Well, I mean, you know, there's a couple easy ones that you could go with some of our Legends of the Future Indies guys who you never would have known before the game. I mean, just even like guys who you see on TV right now, like Adam Cole, mm-hmm. right? You know, Brian Danielson, like guys who, I mean, I knew Brian Danielson before it, but, but, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, who, you know, I mean, we talked about, uh, I mean, just go through the AW roster and you can pick out half the roster we had in the game beforehand and it's really cool to see that all these people who we didn't know but if i take that aside we're not talking about guys who um you know we uh, got on the indies game before they were famous um i'd probably ilio DePolo is one i'll say because i ne- i mean he's buffalo territory guy really who i didn't know much about um we had uh you know, we went up to dinner at his restaurant, you know, after, you know, just after Elio had passed, but his family still ran the restaurant and Tim had sort of arranged all that and up in Buffalo. And that was really cool. So I'll, I'll just say Elio because that nice. was, he's somebody I wouldn't have known anything about without the game. Yeah. I think the same for me on, on Elio as well. Uh, Todd, what about you? Uh, probably for me would be the, uh, the French angel Maurice Tillet. Um, nice. would have never known anything about him at all. And just kind of just, you know, finding out him about that, you know, getting that card and just seeing what a unique character and, and then looking into some of his history with, you know, movies and other things that he's done there. Uh, definitely, you know, not for this game, no way I would ever found out about him. Right on. Um, Next up from our friend across the pond, Bazzi. Uh, how many different countries do Phil Singer Games um, or uh, does Phil Singer Games get orders from? Uh, Todd? Well, um, let's see. I mean, obviously. At least seven. At least yeah, seven. Seven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so regular ones. I mean, obviously the three big ones are obviously well, United States. Uh, <laughs> vast majority. Uh, Canada. And the UK. I mean, that's the vast majority right there. Uh, I do regularly send some stuff to a promoter in uh, Spain. We do get some orders, uh, somewhat regular orders from Germany. Um, Don't forget about Denmark. Oh, Denmark <laughs> is definitely on the uh, the ongoing regular orders there. Um, that's for sure. Um, I have sent some stuff to Japan. 
I have sent some stuff to China. Uh, obviously, Australia, a couple of people down there. Um, we did have some also, I hadn't until recently sent stuff down to New Zealand. Uh, so that was different. Uh, another one there. Uh, and then also I've been sending some stuff over to uh, the Philippines as well. Uh, there's a promoter over there who I know has at least had listened to us before um, that uh, I was sending uh, some bulk orders to just because I know the, the shipping and the exchange was kind of tough. So we would always kind of, you know, work out some big orders just to kind of get that done. But uh, Moldavia? I think, was that Moldavia? No, 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 Moldavia. Uh, Try and think if there's anybody else there. Greece. Okay. Somebody's got. I've never said anything to Greece. Oh. I can't think I've ever said anything to anywhere in Africa. Um, Mexico, Central America, anywhere? No, I can't think I've ever said anything to anywhere in Central America. I've sent to Puerto Rico, but that's not a different country. So no, that's true. Uh, that's true. Um, we're in the double figures at this point. That's at least 10 or yeah, 11. we're at least at double yeah. figures on that, though. But I would say the vast majority of international is definitely you know, Canada and UK, and occasionally we'll get we'll get we'd, some other ones. We'd really out. like to put Luxembourg, Lithuania, and Latvia on the map. So just somebody go over there and order something. If you if anybody from Latvia orders, you get the free Latvian proud oak card. Not only will you get the Lithuanian, was it Lithuanian snow Lithuanian troll? Snow troll yeah. Okay, so you get the Lithu- if you're from Lithuania and you order, you get the Lithuanian snow troll and the entire Centra set with your champ with, with your first Legends order. Wow. There you go. That's a deal right there. That's first yeah, first man. Lithuanian customer gets that. All right, right. Lithuania. See, see if it takes it up. On it. Yeah. Uh, and the, the second part of the question was most bizarre country, but I feel like promoters, you can pick for yourself if there's a bizarre country in there because, you know, obviously that's that's quite a few. I think uh, having to send the one to China was very bizarre because I had to print out the label to get all the Chinese characters properly in there. To, uh, mm-hmm. there but it made it to them. I don't know how. But so it's the most bizarre mailing. We're not calling China a bizarre country. No, not a bizarre saying? country. Okay. No, it's right, very, right. very yeah, just regular country. We could get in trouble mailing. for that, you know. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's our, true. Our I don't want to get bandaged. Our podcast wouldn't be allowed over there. Uh, <laughs> next up from Guilty Party. Will we ever get King Kong Bundy in color again? Mike? Yes. Yes. All right. There you go. Easy one. Uh, next up, L.A. Wraith. Any hope of GWF Classics 2074 through 2086 getting color cards, physical and online? Michael, there was no again. there was no time frame on that, right? No time frame. Mentioned, no, no, no time frame. Then the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, I, I'll say this: if you're if if you'll be upset if you start to do a 2074 Fed with black and white cards and find out later there's color then don't start one. But I can't say when that's going to happen. We haven't determined a date for that. Is that fair, Todd? That's fair, really fair, yeah. What, what, it has what, been discussed, but we don't know how it's definitely right. different. Yeah, would it would it be fair to, to, to also kind of add to that, that if you start in black and white and color happens to come out while you're still running your black and white fed, it's not like the cards are going to be wildly different, right? They're just going to be you know, similar to like the color updates for Legends, right? Really? I don't know. No, no, well, I mean, because you look in 2074, I don't like you're using 2079 Omega and Morpheus. 
you know, it, you know, if we're doing some other, there might be, there might be. I will say there. I would say that there. It will be a little different than the Legends region. I, I, th- I think. It, I don't know if it'll be a full on like. We're not talking like, Chronos level redos here, right? Where it's like a totally like alternate timeline version of the guy. But but I think that, um, I mean, obviously, if if you want to take look at the early classics cards there's some i'll just say cleanup that needs to happen with some of those cards sure. rules wise sure um i think that to todd's point there's some characters that if you were to do a 2074 set would be slightly different there'd be a character progressions that would change you know versus what came out in black and white so um yeah i'd say there might be some changes you know like i, I don't want to you know, there's some cards that never happened. I'll shout out to Troy here. Uh, Imperial Alliance uh, Mimic never, you know, came out in black and white. That would be, you know, there's some, there'd be some gimmick stuff in there. There'd be some, there might be a few characters that were less notable that didn't get cards, right? That we would, if we had sure. the advantage of doing something, we would probably have maybe a slightly larger roster with some more enhancement guys or whatever. I, I think that that's certainly possible. Um, so there's been lots of talks. So that's why I don't want to say no, there wouldn't be any change, Sam, uh, because depending on how we approach it, it could go in a couple different directions. That's fair. I suppose for me personally, I, I could understand some changes along the lines of what you're saying, but I actually, and I, and I might be in the minority here. I wouldn't want to see full sets for the classics years. I I I think that for me it just feels I don't know I don't know it, 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 if we're talking well I mean Sam ultimately we'd have to do a full set and right and I'm not saying there'd be a full set for every game year mm-hmm. but right. but but ultimately you'd have to have like a an intro set right a 2074 kind of kick you off set. And you'd have to have some level of updates between 2074 and 2086, right? And, sure, totally. Yes. Uh, so yeah. so uh, I'm not saying that there would be like, oh, you know, a 10 game card per year kind okay. of thing. I don't think anyone okay. is anticipating that. Gotcha. But but I think that you could see something where there's the, the card pool is larger than the classics, early classics. Yes. Pool. If right? you want, yes. so it's somewhere. It's so it's somewhere in between, right? It's somewhere in between. It's not ten cards a year every right. year, right? And it's not what we had before. There's I, some I gotcha. difference. I like that. I like that a lot. Like the idea, the notion of this is wild speculation on my part. Promoters, you know, I don't have any inside dope on this one. But if we got like a, a you know, a, a sixteen card twenty seventy four set, for instance, to kind of kick things off or something. That would be cool. I'd be totally behind that. But I, I guess, yeah, we don't. I, it, it, my humble opinion is I wouldn't need to have a twenty seventy four set, a twenty seventy five set, a twenty seventy. No, set, and, and I don't. Th- right. I don't think anybody would anticipate that. I mean, I think that there, you're probably seeing it probably have to be more than sixteen cards. I mean, that's well. Another thing is, do you do like do you do it in multiple stages? Do you do it like all at once? How do you release it? A um, couple different thoughts, and that's why I don't want to get two in the weeds on this, but, but I think it's going to be, um, it's not going to be one release per game year. Um, there may be a story per game year, but, but the, I, I don't know that you would want 10 cards a year, every year for that 
you know, that sure. time frame. So, so I, I think it'll be somewhere between your typical game release that has, you know, double digit cards every year. It won't be that big, but it won't be, it'll be more cards than you got between 2074, 79, 83, 86, you know, and, and early classics. So it, it'll be, somewhere in between those two ranges yeah. probably somewhere <laughs> kind of maybe sort of <laughs> if we ever get around to it all right all right well there you have it definitive answer for you folks Defi- it clears mud uh so so now uh we come to our final question uh that we will get to uh, on this particular uh episode of ask us anything and um this one is from friend of the show legends team member and uncharted territory co-host Stu lowry uh Stu sent me a very thoughtful eloquent email um that uh, i had not had a chance to respond to in full when we announced that we were going to be doing this particular episode and so he was just sort of like hey if you want to save your answer for the podcast do that and i i wanted to write him back so i wrote him back something you know a, a little bit longer but the gist of his question um was that is aew the culmination of the past, you know, 20 years, say, of, of indies uh, work. Um, you know, is this the, the zenith? Um, you know, is the revolution kind of over at this point? And now you have AEW established, you know, what happens, what happens next? Um, and, I, you know, I thought that, that this was a great question. And he certainly posed uh, some thoughts and ideas, especially about, like, you know, what does Cody's exodus uh, from AEW mean? Uh, you know, especially considering Cody was kind of at the forefront of the revolution and, and you know, all in certainly um, – you know, his departure from WWE, his time on the Indies, uh, the lead up to All In, All In, then basically, you know, kind of slowly working its way into AEW. Um, you know, he was really he was kind of the head guy in a lot of ways. Um, it wouldn't have happened without the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. Um, but the truth of the matter is that you know, Cody was the one that kind of like helped to put it all together and realize it. Um, and, and so, you know, with his departure, what does that mean? Um, you know, could, could the Indies do some sort of honest to goodness, collaborative territory system? Um, you know, acknowledging that IWTV kind of has, you know, somewhat of a model, but not really quite the same thing. Um, and I just thought it was, I thought it was a really, really interesting question because, uh, you know, it's, it's totally valid point of view. Like, the indies i think i think the conceit is uh, you know even from his point of view the indies will continue to exist but do the indies continue to grow from here is there kind of a, a stasis period now that AEW has released you know, reached the the level of success that it has you know or or do the indies kind of start to slowly regress a bit um and again i think it's a fantastic question so um yeah Todd, let's let's start with you. What are your thoughts on this? It's definitely very interesting because I, you know, I think the the indies really started to proliferate after ECW and WCW closed, you know, and there was a need for alternative wrestling that was going on. I mean, there was indie stuff before that, 
but it wasn't very big. Uh, and, you know, and then, you know, kind of coming with the ring of honor that really kind of helped it. But at the same time, you know, it was, you know, not only just, you know, having other wrestling out there, but I think other mediums for how wrestling is shared and consumed really grew during that time too. Um, you know, just, you know, online streaming stuff and, and just other ways of being able to watch stuff that's going on around, you know, around the globe even. Um, do I think this is kind of the apex? No, I think, it, I think Indies will, the, the indie scene will continue to kind of revolutionize a bit. I think, you know, there was a whole kind of power, little bit of power struggle with uh, guys being signed off the indies uh, by WWE for NXT and then and AEW and them trying to keep wrestlers away from each other for a bit, which definitely depleted some of the rosters in the indies uh, that made it really you know difficult to kind of put on some of the big shows. But now a lot of those people are kind of back in there. I think we'll see kind of like a, different model of the indies and different ways that stars will kind of grow that uh, in the future that will be different than how we've had it in the past. Um, I don't think there'll be necessarily a territorial system per se, but I do see ter- I do see different indie promotions working with each other. I think overall, the way media is going right now, the big thing is collaboration, whether it's, you know, on podcasts, on uh, web shows and stuff like that. I could see that happening with uh, with wrestling too. I mean, we see it right now with things like, um, you know, the collective bringing different uh, promotions together during WrestleMania weekend. I could see more of that happening, you know, throughout the year in different, different areas. Yeah. It's interesting because one of the things that I think that, you know, we can't truly measure the impact of just yet, but there is no doubt in my mind that the pandemic really affected a lot of that collaboration. Yeah. I was going to bring that up, Sam. I I think it, not just, not just the collaboration, it affected the business, right? Well, totally. Yes, absolutely. Promotions, you know, you know, we were talking earlier about live versus, um, you know, televised. Well, most indie promotions aren't televised, right? I mean, that's number one. So yes, they have an internet presence, but they're, um, they, they they can't survive on just showing their stuff on correct yeah on, on, on right. YouTube or streaming or whatever streaming platform they have so they need the live audience um, so that I, you know I think if you take that aside and and take the and that's had a negative impact on the business I think that to Todd's point there are multiple ways to consume you know wrestling now that there that didn't exist twenty years ago um, so I think that that uh, will allow indie promotions to be more successful. I also don't, I don't buy AEW as an indie promotion. No, I Um, agree. I think that they're a different animal. They have a different, they have different um, delivery mechanism. They have different funding. It's very different when you have a billionaire behind you. Exactly. um, Who actually knows what they're doing too. Right. Right. Um, Right. You know, like, I mean, not to smack around TNA, but you know, TNA has been in existence for a long time now, yeah. but nobody viewed them as a credible. The only time anybody even looked at TNA as a real credible threat to WWE was when they brought in Hogan and Bischoff and they said, we're going to do the Monday night wars. And for about a week and a half, people thought that might be a real thing. Um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 they never had a plan, a long-term plan to be sustainable and successful. No. which AEW has. 
Now you can argue AEW is not as good as WWE. It's not as big as WWE. And I'm not going to argue against that, but they are the clear number two now. Oh yes. Yeah. And, and so I don't view them as an indie anymore. I view them as a major player now. And so, and they've clearly, the thing about AEW that's different is that they still work with indies, right? And they still work with other promotions where they allow their talent to go out and do stuff. You know, Brian Cage right. isn't on TV right now. He's out doing other shows, right? right? So, you know, like, I think that that's a difference. Um, and I think it actually, in some ways, may help the indies, um, the, the new model, because now it's not WWE that just sucking the life out of, I don't want to, and I don't want to be too hard on WWE here, um, but people wanted to go to valid WWE. point, though. But, but, but people, but the wrestlers themselves wanted to go to WWE because they wanted that payday. They wanted that exposure. They wanted that opportunity. So right. now there's multiple opportunities, more competition. That makes it better for, for the wrestlers, too. So I, I think that guys will maybe stick on the indie scene a little longer, not just jump at the first offer WWE gives them. Because now maybe that's good, but maybe I want to wait and see what AEW says. Like, is there a chance there, too? Well, I think the danger is too, though, that that you know WWE. It seems like based off of the things that Nick Khan has said and and, and some of the stuff that that you know has come out of NXT is that they don't want to do that anymore anyway. So it it, it creates an interesting environment. I think um, here here's the response that I wrote to Stu. Um, of course, I'm a huge AEW fan and have been enjoying so much, not everything, though, of what they've been doing. I don't think that AEW has created an environment that spells trouble for the indies. Quite the opposite, in fact. I think they've stoked the fires of indie performers and, in turn, indie audiences to seek out more by giving opportunities and a spotlight, limited though it may be, on dark and elevation. This could mean, however, that, much as you mentioned, we are on the precipice of the zenith, or at least a peak in the business. My hope is that it can last for a good five to ten years, but who knows? For as much of a boon to the sport that AEW has been, it's clear that there have been some negatives. One only needs to look to ROH to see that. They've created a situation where it will be much harder for those organizations that were formerly considered second tier to WWE to thrive or even exist. At the same time, a company like GCW can coexist with the new paradigm that AEW has initiated because it doesn't function like Impact or ROH. The fascinating aspect to me is that it hinges on contracts, right? GCW doesn't have them. ROH did. The new era of ROH is seemingly doing away with the contracts, and that could help them a great deal, though they'll have to survive without the ability to use the names that AEW signs, whereas before it was only WWE. I know that a lot of people listening are well aware of most of this. I suppose I'm working it out for myself as I type this. So what does all of this mean for the indies going forward? Will they have the ability to form a cooperative a la NWA? I think the indies will be fine once promoters learn the good old days were behind them and that promoting for a couple hundred might be the best they could do. I think it cemented the continued existence of independent wrestling. The territories really became the indies, and I think they're necessary. However, due to the lack of strong regional presence facilitated by local TV, I don't think we'll see the like of the NWA again. Plus, as was mentioned, I doubt we could get enough promoters together to agree on that and what it would take to run with that model. And IWTV is great, but their championship feels second to, say, PWGs or GCWs even. If it disappeared, I wouldn't even miss it. 
it's a little harsh, but it's true. I do think that AEW is the culmination of 20 years of indie wrestling. However, it's not an indie, right? It's a national promotion competing with the biggest company in the world. It's a stark contrast to how I felt about ROH or Evolve or even ECW as a viable number three back in the day. So if it surpassed what gave birth to it, where does that leave its progenitors? Some of them won't make it, but a lot will, and they'll continue to serve as an unofficial feeder system, a place where young talent can get the experience they need to make the next step. Because unlike WWE, I do believe that AEW sees the benefit of having a healthy indie scene. That in itself may be enough for them to survive and in some cases thrive. It'll be a balancing act, and if any of the spinning plates begin to fall, I have no clue where it will go, but for now, I think we're in one of the best times for wrestling in probably 20 years. I hope it lasts. As for Cody, it's such a strange situation to me. On one hand, he never wanted to be a cog in the wheel, that's clear, but he is one of the main reasons we have AEW. He capitalized on what was happening in what I believe was a genuine manner, not at all mercenary or self-serving, and focused the energies of guys like Matt and Nick Jackson in order to create the space for AEW. Now, here he is potentially going back to the place he left to build all of this up, and for what? Money? Of course, until I see him in a WWE ring, I'm not sure what to make of it all. And even then, eh, I don't know. I don't think it will affect AEW or the Indies much. I don't think this is the fulcrum that tips us into some sort of disillusionment with the movement. I think there's more meat on the bone than Cody Rhodes. Good for him for knowing what he wants and knowing his worth, but it's too bad he can no longer be a part uh, of AEW and be, you know, one of the standard bearers for the movement that he helped to create. Um, the only thing I'll, yeah. I'll hit you with, Sam, there is, is that I don't know that AEW is the cause of ROH going under. I think ROH was struggling a little bit and then the pandemic happened and i think that hurt them more i i think that the pandemic is as much of a reason for roh's demise as as aew i think that um roh always you know existed on a different plane like the and and look let's let's look at wrestling territories in general right you go back in the day Territories came and went. There's been lots of turnover. I mean, we talked earlier just about uh, Roca. You know, like before Vint Senior, you know, Tutsman was there. I mean, you know, there's always been transitions. And I view, you know, um, you know, evolve being bought out. Right. I mean, like like there's a lot of this movement happens in wrestling. Tech promoters come, promoters go, promoters buy other promoters out. Like things happen in this business that, that, that it's always been an evolving landscape. This isn't major league baseball where you have a relatively stable group of teams that go, you know, over a hundred years, right? This is, it's very different with wrestling and it's a lot of small businesses and small businesses, me being a small business owner myself, I can relate to this, you know, have their ups and downs that, 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 uh, that make life challenging, but but I think that AEW is different, and I think that they're they are what TNA wanted to be, right? What, what, right. What, what, what TNA hoped to be is what AEW is now. Now, think- where does the you know? I mean, I, I don't want to call AEW WCW yet. You know, like they're not on that level, but but they are above what ROH or TNA or any of those guys ever did. In my mind, at this point, three years in, I think yes. that they have they've elevated it to a level that it's something different. But like you said, they're not trying to kill the rest of the industry. You know, they they feel that there's an ecosystem that you know everyone can benefit from. You right. know, each other's existence and, right. and 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 they acknowledge it. They, they like you said with dark. And elevation, they have some avenues for it. even on dynamite, and you know they've had some, you know, and and on uh, 
Uh, I think even on Rampage, they've had some indies guys, you know, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. featured. Yeah. So, so, mm-hmm. so you go, you know, they're giving guys some spots, you know, they, I mean, and some of them are tryouts that, that go someplace like we saw with, um, you know, Eddie Kingston coming on and then, you know, joining right. the main roster and other guys. And I'm blanking on his name and, and it's terrible because he's, we have a card for him in the game and I'm blanking, but, um, Oh gosh, what's his name? He but he fought for the TNT title and you know didn't make the main roster. But but it's like oh, he got his War Horse, maybe. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, War Horse. I was I was blanking. I kept coming up with Wardlow, and I know that's not who it was. <laughs> um, you know, and um, you know, so so we have you know, but they but War Horse got that exposure right, and, and he got on national TV. Um, so right. I think that AEW gets it in a way that, and it wasn't like a it wasn't like a throwaway match where we just brought you into job out, you know, in a squash, right. You know, war Horse actually right. got a match where he got you know, featured. Yeah. So, you know, this isn't like the old days you were, you were on a tryout match in velocity and got squashed in two and a half minutes. Right. Um, so I, I think it's very different. And I think that, um, you know, I don't know if this is the apex of Indies or if the apex of Indies was 10 years ago, right. Or when was the apex of the Indies? I'm not sure. But I can tell you that I think that AEW isn't going to be the reason the indies go away. No. Um, th- th- if anything, they may extend the life of of the indies and and help them from being crushed under the weight of you know an an, an NXT performance center buyout of all talent that might have some hope someday. Right. Well, and and the thing is, is that, you know, I think that when it comes to independent wrestling, you have to even look at independent wrestling as it is today, as it was maybe even about 10 years ago, um, as, as having tears in and of itself. You know, you have those super indies um, based off of location like PWG. Um, I would argue you could even put AAW in there in Chicago. Um then you have those sort of touring super indies like GCW and Evolve used to be, you know, I mean, GCW obviously being a newer promotion, but being similar to Evolve where they go different places. They're not stuck in, in one spot. Ring of Honor became that as well. Um, you know, it, it's funny because I would never consider and still don't consider Impact or, or TNA to ever have been an indie, you know, and yet when you look at the shape of TNA and the trajectory of TNA and what they've been able to do. The only thing that really separates them from being an indie is the fact that they had national television coverage for a time. So it's, you know, I mean, it is fascinating and they had a contract system and yes, they were looking to compete and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that the one thing that makes AEW obviously in addition to being a national promotion and not at all an indie, but the one thing that separates AEW from any of the promotions that have come before that tried to work their way up, even ECW, let's say, is they've got the money and they've got the talent. And there are times when you've had promotions that had talent. You've had times when there were promotions that had a little bit of money. But there has never been since WCW a promotion that had both. One could argue that WCW didn't always have and, both. And, and booking. And booking, yes. I, I kind of was folding that into talent, but yes. Well, but but, but I mean, it's, it's sort of different because like if you look at like TNA Impact, you know, they had points in time where they had real talent and they had money. Right. They, they have, they have, have real the talent right now, for sure. No, right. you're right. The booking. Yes, the booking. And, and, and no, AEW is able to put all the elements together, whereas, you know, none of these other promotions have ever been able to put it all together. 
Um, so I, I, I think that, yeah, I, I think the consensus here is, and, and I think that, you know, a lot of people would have to, would be hard pressed to disagree with this, is that AEW, if anything, is good for the ecosystem of the indies. And that I think a lot of indies and a lot of indie talent will find themselves having opportunities that they didn't have before, especially if WWE really does go with their whole, you know, we're only doing homeborn stars you know we're not we're not going out and finding the you know the indies guys anymore um we'll see what happens but you know if, if that holds true then then i think you know the the only place that they're going to really have to go is, is is aew um yeah it's interesting i think like prior to the pandemic aew really wasn't doing as much with the dark uh, show like they would have more of their own talent usually right. in there and it was a shorter show and then th- them having the pandemic and needing to have an audience and bringing in wrestlers and being like well since we're here we should give them a match kind of really shifted their whole view of working with the indies I think at that point too so I think that you know I don't know if that was always in the plans early on or not but definitely has been a big part recently and then also just you know, allowing wrestlers knowing that, Hey, you know, we, we're not having, we don't have enough spots for everybody every week. So, you know, with permission, they can go, you know, their wrestlers can go out, put spotlights on different Indies. And at the same time, when they go to a city, then they can bring in those indie wrestlers and give them spots on, on the show. And too, which I think has been a much bigger part than it, than it was you know before the pandemic. Yeah. I, you know, one other thing that we haven't talked about in, in this conversation that I do think is an added, um, you know, piece of texture that would not have been the case, you know, 20 years ago are international indies because of our access. Now, um, there are a lot of independent wrestling companies globally that I think are, are able to benefit from, you know, streaming services and the way that we're connected now in a way that, that never could have happened before. Um, you just look at, and obviously they've kind of been co-opted by WWE, so it's a little bit different, but you just look at WXW or Progress just to kind of start off with and the exposure that they're now getting because they're on Peacock, you know, formerly the network. Um, you know, you think about all the other promotions out there um, that, are, that are able to kind of get that as well. Japan is interesting because Japan's kind of its own entity in so many ways because it's it's they have independent wrestling no doubt but they also have so many companies that would not be considered indies you know like new japan all japan noah dragon gate etc so it's it's fascinating to think about where things might be headed and where talent might end up and how the landscape you know could evolve no pun intended um but i i i am firmly in the camp that AEW can can only help and that there's still potential for growth. That's fair. So anyway, um, I think that brings us to the end here of the questions that we have. Uh, we will again be able to use the questions um, that we didn't get to in the future. Uh, and if you you know if you don't hear them on an episode, rest assured that we'll find a time and space to answer them properly. Um, so we really appreciate everyone reaching out uh, and and asking us the question. Don't forget that you know you can always shoot us a line, shoot us a question. And if you go to the website now, there is indeed uh, on on the website for the podcast at philsingergames.com. Uh, a new button that you can click on and actually leave us an audio message. So if you want to leave us an audio message, um, you can do that as well uh, and hear your voice on the podcast. Um, 
So with that said, and all of that done, um, I want to go over and of course, give a shout out to everyone who commented on the post for our last episode. Uh, Troy, Lee, Stu, Rob, Derek, VB, The Faction, Chad Olson, Malice Lover, Bugram, FCB72, and Matt. Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate the engagement. Um, and, you know, continue to to leave your comments and questions. And we'll certainly try to get to them, if not on the boards, then on the podcast. Um, we, we always appreciate all of you out there listening, even if you don't have time uh, to, to drop us a line. Um, but if you're listening, you're not necessarily on the boards, go over, sign up, uh, check it out. Um, and then of course, uh, there's also the Facebook, uh, Phil Singer games, uh, page as well, which is a lot of fun. Lots of, lots of great uh, stuff over there. Questions, uh, posts for fed results, um, and, and all sorts of cool stuff. Um, find that, uh, at Phil Singer games promoters is the, yes. is the Facebook group. Thank you. Thank you. Um, now for some decidedly uncool news, some sad news. Um, uh, fellow promoter Chris Hoover passed away this past week, um, and w- when I when I read that, um, you know, it hit me because, as I've mentioned numerous times before, really the only other time prior to these past few years that I kind of was a part of the community was during the GWF Hardcore uh, Yahoo Group days back in like you know ninety nine two thousand ish, and um, you know one of the guys that I probably chatted with the most was was Chris. Um, you you know, there were a group of us that would get together uh, on like a, you know, chat room, uh, you know, once a week or so and, and talk. And, and it was Chris Hoover, Anthony Duclos, um, um, Brandon Strevel, uh, Aaron Chu. Um, and, you know, we'd all get together and, and, and hang out and talk about, you know, whatever we were watching. And we'd, we'd cut promos and just do, you know, a bunch of silly stuff. And Chris was a really cool guy. And uh, I got a lot of use out of some of his bootlegs that he had sent me. Um, and, uh, you know, it's 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 always awful to lose someone regardless of the circumstances, but certainly someone so young and, and someone that, uh, had been a, a, you know, part of a great source of enjoyment at, at a period in my life in particular. Um, that was a very difficult and odd time for me. Um, won't go into any detail, but yeah, 1999 was not a great year in the life of, of Sam. So, um, but I, I remember those days fondly and, and Chris is somebody that I remembered fondly and I had, you know, not really reconnected with him, um, which is unfortunate because, because now that opportunity no longer exists. Um, so, uh, obviously as always, when, when you lose somebody unexpectedly like this, it is a reminder to make sure that you reach out and, and tell people what they mean to you, um, or at the very least try to rekindle, uh, you know, any of those friendships, uh, or, or stoke the fires of friendship, uh, continue the, those fires, uh, keep them burning. It's, it's, um, it's important, especially when you realize that uh, an opportunity is is gone. Um, so obviously our thoughts uh, are with his family. Um, there is indeed a GoFundMe, which has been listed, um, I think, multiple times um, on both the Facebook page and the discussion board. So if you are so inclined um, and you can assist his family during this difficult time, um, certainly, you know, go for it. Um, but uh, yeah. Chris, Chris Hoover, rest in peace. And thank you so much for being a part of this community and certainly adding to the texture of my enjoyment of the game. With that said, uh, I think it's time for us to get out of here and ring that bell. What do you say, Mike? Well, it's, it's uh, hard to follow up on that, but I'll just say uh, thanks for everybody uh, for listening. We, we always appreciate the audience and, uh, you know, we'll say uh, goodbye to our friends on the Baltic. <laughs> Todd, what about you, sir? 
Uh, yeah, thanks everybody for uh, submitting questions for tonight and engaging. Um, you know, we'll be back next week. Uh, you know, next week uh, it's gonna be our first podcast in March. And March always makes me think of one thing, and that's tournaments. So get ready for next week. Woohoo! Uh, I look forward to the return of a tournament. It'll be great. Uh, well, awesome. Mike, Todd, thank you, gentlemen, as always, for, for doing this thing. Uh, I appreciate you both so much. Thank you for all the work that, that you do. Um, and, yes, listeners, thank you so very much for your time, for your listenership, and for being a part of this incredible community. Um, continue to post on the boards and do your thing on Facebook. Uh, uh, write to us. Uh, send us one of those voice messages. I haven't gotten one yet, and I really, really want to do it. I'm, I got a little notification set up and everything. So go to the website, hit that button, record a message for us. We'll use it. And, Come on, uh, c- c- Chad's calling Sam up and making fun of him all the time now. Come on, yeah, you gotta get, you gotta, you know, you can't let Chad do that to Sam anymore. He's got to get some voice message. I have feelings too. Um, so anyway, uh, in the meantime, take care of yourselves, take care of one another, keep the dice rolling, and thank you all so very much. <laughs> <laughs>